We started the book of Acts two weeks ago. We're calling this series a church on the move. So this is our third message in the book in the book of Acts, and um, we're excited about that. And hope you all are as well. If you don't have a Bible with you, we actually have some um, uh, inexpensive uh, copies of the Word of God in our welcome center. If you want one uh, to to help yourself there, and we were actually talking this past week about having some uh, some of those things available for you all. And so, if you don't have one, make sure you pick one up. If you haven't, maybe on a tablet or something like that. So again, I mentioned this is the third week in our in our series, Church on the Move. Um, and we first time we looked at the first message, we looked at that a church on the move is empowered for and devoted to the go- the advance of the gospel. And then last week we looked at that a church on the move is actively waiting on God's plan. And in that we saw that they are being continually devoted to prayer and being concerned that they are structured by the Bible, that the Bible is the authority by which they're structured as a church. No one's irreplaceable, and so they replace um, Judas with Matthias. And then they are careful to give Jesus the final say, that in the end that it's not the will of them, uh, or the leaders, but it is the will of God that's what's important. And so that was a good example for us. And so this week we're going to look at um, what many people would refer to as the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the first 13 verses, and we've actually already read them earlier. Mr. Cross read them for us. So what we're going to do is go to the Lord in prayer, ask Him to help us, and then we're going to walk through it together. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would use Your Word now. We ask that You would bless it. I pray that You'd give us ears to hear, that You'd open the eyes of our heart to the truths You have in Your law for us, that we would be a church that follows the pattern that You've given us in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Thank you for this companion volume to the Gospel of Luke. Thank you that it's recorded for us here. Help us to be submissive to it and learn from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, births are monumental and memorial events. And children love to hear the stories about their birth. Uh, moms love to tell tell the stories of their births. Now, lest I um, um, tread where angels fear to trod, um, I won't say that ladies tend to uh, exaggerate those birth stories as years go by because all of us guys that fish um, know that we tend to exaggerate a lot of other things. And so um, anyway... But my kids love to hear their birth stories. They love to hear, like, what was it like when I was born? Or, you know, the stories of that. And depending on your style or, 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 or what your preferences are in birthing modes or whether you're, you know, hey, drug me up as much as possible or I'm going to be out in the hayfield with mom and keep working right after and just throw a bathtub in there and, you know, call the midwife or whatever series you're watching at the moment. Um, and, and, you know, or something like that. Uh, with Kerrigan, she was our first, and, and we were just so excited, and um, just a lot of cool things that I dare not tell birth stories with my wife not in the room, because uh, I know I'll mess things up. Uh, Draper, so we had Kerrigan in a hospital, Draper in a birthing center, Madeline in a hospital. Uh, Draper was just a, a really cool thing, the, um, and uh, uh, just just a neat thing. Jamie was exhausted with a ridiculously long labor 
Um, and so when it came time for Madeline, she's like, give me that epidural. Because her mom had had all these natural births. So she's like, all right, I did one in the birthing center naturally for mom, but that's it. And the rest she's told me I have to have. So um, we're stopping at three. And so uh, at least biologically that is. And um, anyway, but when, when Madeline was born, uh, she was born in the hospital there in Cumberland, Maryland. And um, at least from my perspective, I know this is nothing compared to Jamie's side. So my side of the story, was it was very hectic. And Madeline likes to hear, and she asks about it. And sometimes when we drive through 68, she likes to, oh, is that where I was? Kids just love, there's something about where you were born and the nurture and things like that. And, you know, it's a draper. I was like, well, I was, you know, we, we, like when we, he wasn't old enough to remember anything. But this past spring when we were down in uh, Greenville for a few days, we drove by. Uh, the, and, and went into the birthing center, and it was really cool for Draper to go back into the birthing center, the room where he was born, and it was kind of that, you know, hey, this is where I hatched, right? And um, uh, that type of thing. Uh, the, when Madeline was born, it was, um, uh, we, we kind of knew coming up to it, and, um, and, and, and then it, was, it had planned out, but then it was, we realized that when the week was coming that Jamie was probably going to go on the weekend, I start. it was like three or four days out, and it's like, okay, it looks like it's going to be this weekend, I started calling everyone I knew that could be potential pulpit supply. And there was like six or seven guys on the list. And usually I get through one or two and someone's ready to fill the pulpit. I couldn't get anybody. It was like first part of February, no one wants to go out. No one would fill the pulpit for me. And and then I'm like, oh, okay, well, what are the chances that she'll go exactly at like 10 a.m.? Have you met Madeline? If it, she is going to plan it to be like, the, you know, I mean, if it's offertory, she's on the platform. Yeah, that's how it works, right? So, she, of course, you, and so what I did, so I hadn't slept, you know, we were up most of the night, and uh, I went down to the um, chapel in the hospital, propped my laptop on, it was probably the Eucharist table or something, and recorded myself preaching the sermon that was ready for the week. And uh, then went to upload it. And we, the guys there did like this tech thing and they had it on the screen. And so we're just going to do it that way. And they were ready to go. But the problem was, was still my problem, that the, the sermon required a lot of memory in, in its file form. Josh knows about this, right? Because, you know, you get a few minutes on there and it eats up, you know. So you got about like a gig of data there. And the, the speed of the Wi-Fi at the hospital was only like, two meg per second or something it was it was not very good so i i'm thinking this is all done my laptop's over there it's uploading this thing it's good it's it's ready to go well madeline's born we're happy we're horror and and we're kind of sitting around and i get a text from the guy at the sound booth and he's like it's not uploaded yet it's only like 75 percent or and so we're like ah so guess what i did i went and pulled my laptop up and preached live via skype like 30 minutes after Madeline was born. It was fun. I was exhausted. I don't remember a thing about the sermon. I think it was in James, but people talked about it. They thought it was fun. Probably didn't get anything out of it. But that's my perspective on Madeline's birth story. And um, But birth stories are kind of cool. Um, and for the birth for the church, Acts chapter 2 is the birth, is our birth story. Now, I should note that there's some debate about this and uh, about whether the church began here or earlier. And I actually sympathize with some of that debate. And I'm still trying to sort some of these things out in myself, in my own head. But regardless, 
there is either a birth of a new people of God or an expansion and a drastic change in the, the work of the Spirit among the people of God at Pentecost. And so afterward, the phrase... And, and, uh, but I would note that after this point, the phrase ecclesia, the word, the phrase for the church, starts showing up dominantly throughout the New Testament. Um, and then even early stages in Revelation, and then you don't see that that word used often until the latter part of Revelation. And so, anyway, so that's where we're at, the birth of the church. And the nature of our birth as a church, so this is your story, this is our birth story, that part of what Emmanuel Baptist Church is today starts here in Acts chapter 2. And, and this is our story. And the nature of our birth gives us a clearer picture of what the church is, and, and, and what the central focus of the church is in this age. And it's important for you and I to know, what are we a part of here? What is this thing that we're a part of as a church? The nature of the church gives us an idea of that. And rightly understood, I believe that this passage gives us a clear picture about the issue of tongues, and then also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, but of a more significant purpose i think it shows us that of what the enabling of the spirit is for our witness and so um as we look at this passage this is a passage that is greatly distorted and our flesh likes to distort this passage as well especially about the role of the holy spirit in the life of the church and 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 people tend to in most things go to one extreme or the other they either they either make him like the red-headed stepchild of the trinity or they tend to like elevate him above everything and that everything is about the Spirit's role, or that this is supposed to be something that's to be repeated. But this passage gives us a corrective in that. And it shows us that, that in our fallen condition, God makes the initiative in coming to us rather than us coming to Him. That we as a church on our own would flounder. And God takes the initiative and come to us and enable us. So a church on the move this week we're going to look at is a church on the move is united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. A church on the move is united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so the church is born and becomes a fellowship. And we're going to see in, in the latter part of Acts chapter 2, and we're, because we have the Lord's table today, we're not going to finish that up. But, but we're going to see that this, this fellowship of the church becomes a fellowship of unity and of mutual support for one another. It becomes a fellowship of power and of witness. But it all starts here at the birth of the church. And God used a great phenomena to inaugurate the church age. And so in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, I want to note from this, the first point is that this is initiated by God in His time. This is our first point if you're taking notes. It is initiated by God in His time. This was planned by God, and it's also promised by God. And so if you want to go to the next slide there, I think we have, we have this up here. Um, and actually, you know what? Hang out there. Leave that there. That's awesome. Uh, we're, we, there we go. And then um, it is planned by God, and it's also promised by God. And Pentecost was this feast that it was then, the day of Pentecost. And the, the, the word penta means 50. And this was 50 days after Passover. And of course, uh, maybe those of you that have done like a survey of the Old Testament or uh, maybe in a, a class or something like that, there are several different feasts that Old Testament Israel had that they celebrate and observe. And each of them pointed in some way to the Messiah. And there's significance to each one. 
And it's so, we can get kind of go out in the weeds a lot and go into the details of each of the feasts and things like that. But, but I want you to know that the, the details all work together in pointing out and, and, and undergirding the work of Jesus and that Jesus was very deliberate and, and specific in all the things of the timing and that happened. And there's huge parallels between the feasts and what happened and what happens in the, in the beginning of the age of the church. And so Passover is the first and the primary feast. And we know that Jesus was the Passover lamb. We saw that in, in John as we came through, that he was this Passover lamb. And Jesus is buried and he rises again on the first day of the week. And so here's what's so... So there's 40 days occur and what we saw earlier in Acts that Jesus ascends to heaven. And often we kind of look at what was the big change in the um, disciples was the resurrection. And that's true. And we see a huge change just the fact that the ones that are all there, these 120 in the upper room, uh, even his brothers that didn't even his half brothers that didn't believe on him or these people that didn't have anything in common that were there together in one room in one accord praying awaiting as the church is birthed out of this prayer meeting and so um they, they they're but 40 days go by in jesus ascends and rightly so that the resurrection is a key point in the empowerment of god's people but really the ascension and then the this and then the giving of the holy spirit is really where the church takes off and is empowered to do the witness which God's called it to. And so 40 days go by, and then it tells us that 10 days, that they were together in 10 days, um, Pentecost comes. So 40 plus 10 is what? 50, right? So the day of Pentecost, 50 days after, after Passover. And Pentecost also, there was lots of 50s in the Bible that were diff- celebrations that happened. Uh, it would be like the, the time they also celebrated, commemorated the anniversary of when the law was given. Um, it was the festival, it was literally of weeks um, or the loaves of wheat that they would eat together in one loaf. Not sheaves, but w- one loaf that they would come together. And it kind of pictured that unity of God's people. And we see that here when the communion of, um, it's the anniversary of the giving of the law. And all this shows to us, and there's so many other things about this that we won't go into for time's sake, but that God's timing is perfect. So Pentecost was planned by God. It was also promised by Jesus. There's a few passages I want us to look up and a few of these we're going to put on the board here and read them together. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. Joel 2, 28. And so if you want to go there to the book of Joel, um, if we can put that on there uh, as well. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. It says this, it's on the screen here. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and I will show wonders in heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the Lord shall be saved. For in the Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors will be those whom the Lord calls. This is actually the passage that Peter quotes referring to this. But then also we see in Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32, 15. We'll turn over there. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is determined, deemed a forest. And then 
this in the new covenant has promised this pouring out of the spirit in, in Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For, and for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And then Jesus had prophesied this when he got up in, in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, remember this was the festival of lights. And, he, and the feast and the great day he stood up and we went through John. Um, and he says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And he whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his belly, the authorized says, meaning the inward his heart, will flow rivers of living water. And then he interprets it for us as as this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the birth of the church, first off, is initiates from God in his plan. It was promised. It was planned. Now, the testimony of John the Baptist gave this. He said that there, there was this looking forward to the baptism of the Spirit. Now, this what happens here at Pentecost is the initial baptism of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is the effect of the baptism of the Spirit. And that's an important distinction for us to get. But back in Matthew, John the Baptist, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who comes after me is greater than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John the Baptist is prophesying of Jesus that Jesus will be the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John had proclaimed these things. In John one thirty three, it says, He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Jesus, when he was in the upper room with the disciples, promised them, talked about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send another comforter. And he says, But when the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, now, this is this cool thing about the Trinity. And that there are truths that we, we that it's, I had a teacher say, it's like carrying watermelons. If you say, how many watermelons can you carry? I could probably get two nice-sized watermelons and carry them. You put a third on there and it makes it kind of tricky. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to be sending the Spirit and baptizing us with the Spirit. But he says here that the Father is going to send it in his name. And so there's this thing that's kind of hard for us to comprehend inside the, 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 the mystery of the Trinity that the, the Spirit proceeds both from the Father and the Son. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a, a neat thing for us to think of there, that God is so... But um, the Holy Spirit, the, he, he will come, He will send from the Father. Jesus would say later, if I, if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come. And I will send Him unto you. So important when Jesus would talk about this, that the, the Spirit, another comforter, another, the same way, same kind as Him. In fact, this is important, just like every part of the redemption of the resurrection is part of the gospel. One of the things that the Holy Spirit, when we go to Ephesians chapter 1, 
it tells us that the Holy Spirit is the seal. It is the down payment, it is the earnest of our inheritance until we get our redemption as purchased. Earnest, you know, when you purchase a home, you have to put up earnest money. That there's a down payment, so to speak. That the Holy Spirit coming is Jesus' down payment on our inheritance. That he, it is seal. He calls it the seal. That he is his promise. And so don't shy away from this glorious teaching on the role of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life. That Christianity is not to be this esoteric you know, knowledge that we have and separate from a dialogue and a relationship and an experience that we have with God the Father in the, in the name of God the Son and the power of God the Spirit. And so um, it is the down payment. And since Christ did not fail to acquire all that He purchased, He will not fail in applying all that His Son has purchased. And the Holy Spirit is a, test, is a comforter who will testify of Jesus. Um, and th- that's one of the ways that we distinguish between doubts and assurances by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has come. So I want you to get this, that the Holy Spirit, the, the giving of the birth of the church is initiated by God's plan. And then the nature of the event that there is this, this, this picture that happens here that God gives this phenomena. It says here in, in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like, okay, as of a mighty rushing wind. Something like a hurricane sound of wind. Um, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting for the upper room. And and we would assume all 120 of them are there and divided tongues as of fire. It doesn't mean literally it was that there was like fire looking like tongues that was descended upon them, upon all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. So this is the event that happens. Tongues as of fire. Now the word here in Acts chapter 2 is unmistakable that the word tongues is languages. Languages. Tongues and acts are always languages. Not in a static spiritual language. Now in the New Testament there could be and may be Two different types of tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about tongues of men and of angels. Um, but in Acts, it is always languages. And in fact, um, much of the distortion of this doctrine is it could be solved just in understanding that. And when linguists, secular linguists, have studied those that purport some type of spiritual language, when they actually study it from a linguistic point, they, they find it is always, um, for the most part, um, so, con, uh, consonants and sounds that are part of that person's spoken language that they, uh, by even by their own admission, and there's even record of this recorded of folks like um, Joyce Meyer and say that this was just gibberish that they would put from known syllables that they know from their language just put together. Um, and so... Um, but I want you to note there that it is the speakers, not the hearers, that have the Holy Spirit here. And the important thing that, is, uh, that I want to point out in the point is that they didn't work this up. That the church, that, that there wasn't a posture 
of the early church in the upper room that they prayed long enough and believed strong enough and and got on their knees and, and pleaded and believed enough to call down rain. There wasn't something that they did that brought upon the Holy Spirit. That's so important for us, not just when it comes to um, things with maybe a charismatic movement or not, uh, but how we see what revival is. That there are precursors to it, but it is something that God does. And it's actually extremely arrogant. And I don't know if people don't mean it this way. For us to say that the Holy Spirit will be sending forth revival on August 5th through 10th at our church. I, I know people are saying they're having revival meetings or special meetings, but, but we don't get to control the Holy Spirit, right? God is in sovereignly over that. So they didn't work this up. They didn't pray down rain. They didn't manipulate God. They didn't name it and claim it. They didn't speak enough in Jesus' name to bring the Holy Spirit down. It was a sovereign act of God that was planned and promised, and even down to the day that God would send it. So it's not something contrived by men. And Acts 2 is the fulfillment of prophecy. And this is so important for us. Acts, the book of Acts, is history of what God did in the church. It is not to be a paradigm for us to be repeated in experience. We follow the principles and things in the, about what the New Testament is, but it's not to be something that's repeated. You know, when, when you read in a history book that, you know, Washington across the Delaware, it doesn't mean you go grab out a John boat and try to do the same thing in the dead of winter. It's like, that happened. Yeah, I'm glad it happened. I'm here speaking this language because that happened. And so when we, read, we need to read um, Acts. So this is our birth story. It's our history. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the baptizer. The Spirit is the medium. But the body is one. We are all baptized into the Holy Spirit, into the body of Christ. And because all of its members share in this same baptism... We are brought into Christ's body. There is a unity of the Spirit that comes. And all Christians are baptized into one body. And so I want to note that what happens here is unique to this time. From this time on, when someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is something that we're supposed to keep on bringing. That's why I would say, don't be drunk with wine, but be, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That is something that goes on. But friend, as the old saying says, the issue is not that you need to get more Holy Spirit. The issue is that the Holy Spirit needs to get more of you. Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He has indwelt you and you have been baptized. And there is not a separate time that the this happened for them. Because the way the Holy Spirit worked is it, it visited people in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament separately it would empower them for certain things it would descend upon someone like samson for a certain work it would would come upon david for certain works that's why he would say um don't remove your holy spirit from me when he repented in 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 psalm 51 um that's why the things would happen that the spirit would come upon him because it was only for certain things but for us it's continually with us it's not so cool so when you read david and he's saying i want to be in god's presence i want to be there all the time that the fact that you have the Spirit of God in you, you have what David was praying for. That you have... The, this is, and, then, and then here's the other thing. We, sometimes we talk a lot about the church being unified. And that we need unity. You know, when, when Ephesians, when Paul says, he says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
Because you know where the unity of the church comes from? That we are all baptized in the one body. It is a spiritual unity. And so we endeavor to keep what the Holy Spirit has done. And if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit because they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have unity with them. And so when someone says, well, why do these, these denominations and these different groups of Christians, why don't they get along? Why can't we all be unified? Because if they're not believers in Jesus Christ, biblically, we have no union. Now those that we have the Spirit with, and that's where it comes with our church, is we are baptized in the one body. And we have the same Holy Spirit. And that, you ever notice how that works? Like when you're having like a little conflict with somebody and you've gone and they've gone and you've thought about it for a while and then you get together in about a week or two or whenever that is. And somehow the Holy Spirit's been working on both of you on both angles. And you're almost like, was there a therapist that was doing this? No. It was the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you were wrong when you did this. And they're thinking, yeah, but I was wrong when I did this. And then when you finally do get together for reconciliation, God's been working it all together. And the Spirit produces the unity of the body it's what in communion we're celebrating the union the communion we have because of the work of the spirit and so um this um this baptism of the holy spirit is why a a true believer will want to connect with other believers that they'll want to identify that spiritual baptism with physical baptism it's why they'll want to be connected to a local church. It's why they want to be growing. It's why they're going to want to be serving and volunteering. It's why they're going to want to be going out and sharing the gospel with others because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the, that, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, initiates from God and His plan. Secondly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens here inaugurates a new era of redemptive history. Now, some see this as just the the outpouring of the Spirit as almost a reversal of the curse of Babel. And there is probably some truth to that in in, in Genesis when they were cursed because of sin and God scattered the languages. It's almost like as He's reversing that in a small way, beginning that here. Um, So, but the fact that God takes and unites that all of these people hear the mighty acts of God in their own language kind of obliterates this idea that there is people that would twist the scriptures to say that there's bounds of their habitation and therefore ethnicities should not mix. Because the gospels, that's antithetical to the gospel. I mean, the church is born by mixing races, if you want to use that term. Um, They hear the praise in their home dialect. The, the miracle here underscores the divine initiative in making possible that God's mission is accomplished. So he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then God's initiative in sending the Spirit and how it shows up is he's enabling them to do that, to speak and it be heard in all these different nationalities, dialects. This is the, this is the idea of the gospel is to get the gospel into the language of the people. This was, this was the, the heartbeat of the Reformation 500 years ago. To get the Bible into the language of the people. To don't make it always only be in Latin, but translate it into German. And then translate it into English. This was the heartbeat of in the, in the early 1600s of to get the Bible into the language of the people. To don't obscure it in other language. And so we take up that mantle we want to get the Bible into the language 
of the people. I also want to note here as it goes on the, the, the nationalities that are listed. And it says the sound, they came to each one, they, they heard in their own language, verse 6. And in verse 7 it says, and they were amazed and astonished. Are not these Galileans? There was the sense in which they're, they're kind of surprised, the impression that Galileans could no, be such good linguists because they weren't known for that. Now, undoubtedly, the known languages that everyone spoke of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, that the, the disciples knew those, the common languages. But there are so many people from other places that had their first language. And they're like, these guys are Galileans. They, and, and so they're astonished by this. And then verse 9 says, Parthians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, beyond the, to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. They are all hearing them in their own tongues tell the mighty works of God. That, no, it was the mighty works of God. They were praising God. That there was a sense in which the praise of the church is attractive to the lost. To the church, we don't have to make the church evangelistic. The church by itself, following God, worshiping God, is going to be attractive on its own, uh, following the way God gave the church to be. And so the miracle here is that they are hearing this. Now, I want you to note these languages. Why, why are all these, la- all these different groups of people mentioned? You say, well, it's a list of different types of languages. No, because it's not. Some of them are in the same language. Um, oh, ooh, maybe some people would say it's the list of the types of languages. You know, the romantic languages, the more barbaric languages. And I really don't think that's the case either. Because the list mixes peoples. Parthians, Medes, Alamites, Romans, Cretans. And then it also mixes peoples with lands. Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Egypt, Libya. Um, now... And then some commentators would say, oh, this is all the people from all over the Roman Empire. But some of these lands were not part of the Roman Empire. Now, and the other is that this is where Jews were scattered and where Jews would be. And there's some maps and you can see where Jews would have been scattered and, and, and lots of them from all these different places. And that's probably true. But the fact that God deliberately has under inspiration lands that are not part of Rome's rule and different types and things, I think what it does here is it's putting a statement out there that Jesus' kingdom trumps all. That it discredits the the claim of rule of all by Rome. Virgil would say, Rome's empire without end. Or when Pliny the Elder would list all of Pompey's conquests. That Jesus' kingdom is the only kingdom that is truly without boundaries and without end. And the principle for us to get is this, that the gospel triumphs in a world still groaning under the curse of sin. That God's redemptive plan involves all nations. And that's our second point. And third, that it inducts the Gentiles into the people of God. It takes all these ones from these places and places them as part of what some would call like Israel indeed, or the new people of God, or what we would call the church. That the church, we've mentioned this, is from all of these folks, and it brings them into their now part, they're this wild olive branch that's now grafted in to the peoples of God. And I'm so glad for that, because I'm one of these. And you're probably one of these. 
that are, that are the descendants of these that will be grafted in to this. So, this passage gives us a clear picture of the issue of tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but more significantly, that we are enabled by the Spirit for this witness. That God has made this. To, so, one of the re- God is, you have the Holy Spirit in us so that we would take the gospel to other people groups. This is the. The church is not, equi- is not equipped and empowered for the task on our own. So Jesus went ahead and made the initiative. And He gave us the power for us to undertake this down. So, so now, you, now you, we also get to have this type of mission. We were born for this. It's part of our birth story. And it shows us that our faith is an interaction between us and God. And that God calls us and empowers us. What He calls us to do He's also going to enable us to do that the church, this new people of God, is the primary identity in our age. That your primary identity is that you're born and baptized into the body of Christ. That we're Christians first. And then Americans or whatever nationality you might be. This is our primary citizenship. And then there's a principle there that the unity of the church is a result of this baptism of the Spirit. And some would see, even though that Jesus ratified the new covenant at his death and burial and resurrection, that the age of the new covenant is really set into place at here at Pentecost. And so we will celebrate that new covenant as we observe the Lord's table. But the church is born and becomes a fellowship of unity, support, power, and witness because of they are united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So a church on the move is united and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. And we ask that you'd use it now and as it, that you would make application to us. Lord, that we'd sort through some of these details about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we saw here. And, even, and, and, and they rightly are confused and, and it sets up this perfect opportunity for Peter as we'll look at next week to explain what's happening here. And so Lord... Thank you that you have baptized us into the body, into the new covenant, in your blood. Help us as we celebrate it now in Jesus' name.